Thank you for listening to Pastor Cedric Brown of Commitment Church. Our hope is to inspire, refresh, and encourage you to be lights in a dark world. This week, we continue a series called Pure Religion. If you do find this message inspiring or motivational, please follow Pastor Cedric or Commitment Church on Facebook and Instagram. Download our podcasts on Anchor.fm, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and other platforms. Now, here's Pastor Cedric. Good morning, everyone who's here live and in person, and also those who are watching. Hey, Tony, good to see you back and healthy, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, thank you for watching via Commitment Online, and um, it's an honor to be here. So, thank you for your prayers as Lisa and I were celebrating our 33rd anniversary. Woo! I love her more than ever. So, uh, thank you, Pastor Ken, for standing in and and bringing these scriptures with clarity last week. And we are concluding a sermon series we've entitled for you, Pure Religion, and we need it more than ever, amen? Uh, to know that um, what we and who we believe is pure, is the real deal. And, um, and without a shadow of a doubt, we need to find ourselves uh, undefiled, undefiled um, by the world. So if we can, let's bow our heads and ask God to help us today. Father, we thank you so much for the awesome opportunity to be here in your presence. We thank you for the privilege of worship uh, because it wasn't always this way that we can just enter your presence um, at will. But through the finished work of Jesus Christ, we're able to enter your presence with thanksgiving and enter your courts with praise. So thank you for that privilege. I pray now that you would now give us the privilege to learn from you. Uh, Spirit of God, please come and do what you do best in all the hearts and minds of your people. Help me, I pray, Jesus, to help your people. Uh, remove me, any parts of me that your people only see you, hear you with great clarity. Uh, God, I pray that uh, you remove the obstacles that are in all of our hearts and minds through just the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches that would try to come to choke the word. But Lord, we pray that you would accomplish your purpose today. So, Spirit of God, please come. Just do what you do best in all of us and through us. I pray for a spirit of adoption that the scripture talks about, that someone will come to know Jesus and that um, your spirit will be cry out within them, Abba, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. I have some slides real quickly, just as a quick uh, uh, summarization and update. <clears throat> Setting the stage, remember, the book of James was written by James, some would say the half-brother of Jesus, or even uh, the cousin of Jesus, but he was defined as the just, all right? And one thing is, is for sure that he was a pillar of the uh, first century church. Uh, the audience, the 12 tribes of Israel that was dispersed abroad, uh, these were Jewish Christians, and how do you find it? It's found in James 1, 1. And remember, as you study in the text, and hopefully you've all been reading through the book of James, very short book, but very profound book, right? Uh, in the book of James, you have, uh, as any other book, you have the answers to your questions, right? So uh, quick theological lesson and her hermeneutical lesson is you define scripture with scripture. You want your answers, you go to the text and not any other second party um, outside of the text. So you find this here in James 1.1. 1, 1. All right, setting the stage, here's the problem. And listen, the problem then is the problem today. You find that the people were scattered 
thus causing difficulties, right? You see, we are living in a scattered sense today in America, in the world today. We, our heaven is, our home is where? Heaven, right? So we're scattered abroad throughout the earth. It causes issues, right? Because you're displaced, right? You're not where you are supposed to be. And when a person is not where they're supposed to be, ultimately it's going to cause difficulties and problems. Or the flip side of that is this, is that your difficulties cause you then to what? Scatter. Right? How many times has that happened within the body of Christ? Someone goes through a tough time in life, you don't see them anymore. Right? They get distracted, you don't see them anymore. They, they, you have COVID-19, right? We don't see each other anymore. We are scattered abroad, somehow scattered abroad, which inevitably causes this. It causes us to conform to the world. Divide and conquer, you can say. Right? Isolate you. Satan does what? Prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking who may what? Devour, right? And what a lion does is isolates his prey and then what? Pounces. And, and that's, what God, that's what we have to guard ourselves against because the enemy is still at work and still wants to confuse and distort and cause difficulties in all of our lives. So no matter what side of that coin you're on today, it is, it is a fact. It's a reality. Make sense? So the Christ in the book of James, this is always important, is that to find Christ in the text. So in the book of James, you have this, is that don't live your faith in Christ with an attitude of favoritism. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. Yeah, we can get pretty arrogant and full of ourselves, followers of Christ, right? We can think that we have all the answers, right? And everyone else doesn't have the answer. And, but so we can begin to look at ourselves with this sense of favoritism rather than the heart of Christ is this, humility. Amen. Humility and by the evidence of your works, right? Works, you prove to me your faith by what? How you conduct yourself. Not merely what you do, right? Because a lot of people feed the hungry, clothe the sick, a lot of people have food pantries, just for the record, <laughs> but not everybody is living lives that are acceptable and pleasing unto God in all things at all times. Make sense? And that's the heart of Christ with humility. Make sense? Humility simply says we don't know everything. We don't have all the answers. And if we do, and if we can, we know that it's in him and through him and by him and for him. Make sense? Amen. And unto him. All right, so let's get into uh, some additional things. So here's the challenge, the world in you. Uh, the world, it, it can ultimately be evil and what? Corrupt. Absolutely evil, absolutely corrupt. But here's the challenge with you. Our challenge in, in this whole series is this, is that you and I must be careful not to be consumed and stained by the world. We're called to live in the world, but not what? Of the world, right? So you and I must struggle and wrestle with being pure. So the question that we've been wrestling with today or in our series is, do you struggle with being pure? And, and listen, I'll be the first one to say yes. You live long enough in this world, right? You, you have so many things coming at you to make you impure, and that's why I shared earlier in this message is like, listen, that's why personally what I try my best to do is put up so many safeguards, you know, and, and try not to do and even, listen, take advantage of Christian liberties. Mm -hmm. 
because I'm wicked enough. I'm dirty enough. Not to mention just live life and you're accumulating more mulk and mire. Why do I want to say, well, let me take advantage of this liberty that doesn't send me to hell. <laughs> but all it does is make me even more dirty. Make sense? So there'll be things that you must say, others may, but I may not. You have that liberty, but I don't. Because I know myself well enough. And that's, that's the key that we all have to really uh, embrace is that you must become so self-aware that you know that all you need is the opportunity and you take advantage of it. All you need is the right setting, the right temperature, the right situation, the right circumstance, right? And you and I will fall for the okie doke. Then our names will be posted somewhere. And we have to be honest with ourselves, that's the reality. Make sense? But still we have a biblical obligation to live pure and without excuse. So last week, uh, Pastor Ken, he began to answer the question, uh, well, we've been answering the two questions, is where does pure religion begin, number one? How does pure religion look? And then last week, Pastor Ken began to answer the question, how do we keep what we do and who we are pure? And today, we'll continue to answer that question or finish by answering the question with two answers. So if you can open your Bibles with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we're going to begin with verses 12 through 16. James chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. It says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trials, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Please underscore that. It says, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Not anyone else's lust, but your own lust. It says, then, we, then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. It destroys you and everyone else around you. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Do not be deceived because it can happen to the best of us. So last week, Pastor Ken covered three points. It was, we must learn to embrace life's trials. Secondly, we must learn uh, to employ God's wisdom. Number three, we must learn to exercise humility. And our first point today that we're going to cover is, we must learn to endure trials and temptations. You and I will be tempted and we will go through trials. Live long enough right? Be married long enough, be single long enough, right? Be, be in business long enough. You're going to have some temptations and you're going to have some trials. But real quickly in chapter three and four, we don't, don't have to turn there, but just as a quick synopsis, there's about six types of trials and tribulations we must all learn to endure. Here they are real quickly. The first is this in James chapter three, verse one through 12. It is your tongue. Yes. Amen. <laughs> You're talking, and we're not going to go into that because we could spend a whole series on the tongue, right? But number two, we have to learn how to, in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, we must learn how to endure conflicts. You will have conflicts. 
You know, one of the biggest challenges that people have when they get married is like when you have your first conflict. It's like, wait a minute, how can I have conflict? <laughs> it's two people trying to become one. That's why you're going to have conflict, right? It's like you have that baby boy, you know, and you've been praying for your baby boy or girl, right? And you're just like, oh, look at him, cookie, cookie, cookie. And then guess what? You have conflict one day. First conflict is what? You don't sleep. That's the first conflict. Right, moms? Especially moms, you don't sleep. Then you get you know, the toddler conflict. That they just do whatever they want to do, whenever they want to do, how they want to do it, touch everything, right? Say anything you want. You tell them, shh, be quiet. You try to prep them in the car before they get to someone's house, right? Don't, now when you get there, don't say anything, Johnny. When you get there, don't touch anything, right? And what do they do? Say everything, touch everything. You get preteens, you get teenagers, whoo, right? And then listen, here's the deal. You get young adults, you get adults with children and who are married. And you still have what? Right, you pray and ask God for your favorite job. Matter of fact, you spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to get educated to have your favorite job. And guess what you get when you have your favorite job at your favorite company making your favorite salary? Conflict. It is, <laughs> it's just a part of life. You're going to have conflict. So that's something that we have to learn to endure and work through, right? But then you also find uh, the third is pride. James 4, verses 5 through 8. Right? You humble yourself, he will exalt you. If you're prideful, he makes you low. Number four, division. James 4, verses 11 through 12. You're going to have divisive forces. The enemy wants to divide you. He doesn't want to be us to be unified. Look at our nation today. One nation. Come on. You know what it is? It, it's about a half a billion nations from house to house to house to house. Under God, supposedly. You will have division in the church, but you got to work against it. You must preserve the bonds of unity. You're going to have it. You'll be tempted to be divisive. And then here's another one. It, number five, James 4, verses 13 through 16 says, in summary, that we will have to endure arrogance. Arrogance. Very easy to become prideful, especially when you get, start getting some wins, right? Start getting some wealth, start getting some power, start getting some prestige, you have some people start reporting to you. You get some letters in front and behind your name, right? You get some success. Your business starts growing, right? You begin to have the success and no one else in your family has success. And then you start looking down on your family because they don't know how to handle their money like you now learn how to handle your, you know, all the whole narrative of life. You're on time, but nobody else is on time. Then you become arrogant because you're always on time and everybody else is late. I mean, just the granial stuff of life just makes us flat out arrogant people. Amen. And then lastly, we must endure sin. <laughs> you may look at say, wait a minute, all the other five are what? Sin. But I think this is more specifically has to do with this. Should you keep sinning so that grace may abound? You 
You follow me? In other words, there's some things in your life you just need to grow up and get over. Amen. Quit blaming it on everybody else. Quit blaming it on your parents who are no longer are alive. Quit blaming it on your school, grade school teacher. Quit, you finally quit blaming on it. It is you who are now committing the sin, not them. Amen. Sin in some other area. Don't keep going back to the well over and over again on the same thing over and over again. To me, that's the communion test. You know, that's the communion test. This is the communion test. The communion test, at least here, we, we have communion let's say every 30 days. So if you keep coming back before God 30 days later and say, well, you know, God, can you help me with my tongue? God, can you just help me have self-control? You know, I got this pornography problem, God, you know. God, can you deliver me? Then the next 30 days, oh, God, can you help me? You know, same thing. Come on now. Should you keep sinning so that grace may abound? May it never be, the apostle Paul said. We must endure these things and overcome these things. You see, when you read uh, in these, back in James chapter 1, verses 12 through 16, there's two key words. The word uh, perseveres. It means to remain, to endure, to sustain, to sustain or bear up under as a load of misery, right? It means to ultimately bear up under adversities. It means persecutions or provocations with faith. Now, unless you're dealing with all these persecutions and provocation, right, by faith. You're dealing with them. You're handling them. You're working through them. And the word tempted means this, to be solicited to sin. Do you realize there is a solicitation sign outside your door every single day? Sin is crotching at your door every single day of your lives. And you have to be aware of that. Put safeguards again so that you will not be tempted. Listen, you're already tempted. Why increase the temptation? Let's go further. So, so why? Why should we? Why should we endure trials and temptations? Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 10 uh, begins to answer this question. It says this, for this reason I endure, this is Paul talking to Timothy, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen. There's a time in your life, you know what you got to start doing? You got to grow up and start thinking about other people. Amen. That you know what? What I keep doing is affecting and infecting other people around me. Yes. It's not just a me problem. It's not just in my little four walls, my little personal problem that I'm struggling with and I'm just taking my good old time dealing with. But the longer I take and the longer I wait in handling and going through this issue or waiting longer to not overcome the trial and temptation, the longer you are infecting and hurting someone else. Amen. If you have an infected toenail, do you ignore it? No, because it, it what? It affects the entire body. So you can think, we can think that you can hide your infected toenail in the sock, in the shoe, and think that it's not hurting anyone else, it's a lie. It's one of the biggest lies within the body of Christ. Amen. Why? You see, it's because we reign with Christ. Second Timothy. 
goes on to say in verse 12, chapter 2, verse 12, if we endure, we also, what, reign with him. If we deny him, guess what we also, he says, well, he will deny you. So think about that for a minute. Park there. So a lot of times we are find ourselves in life and we wonder why don't we have God's full support in things? Why would he support you if you keep denying him? Why would he keep supporting you in your marriage? So let's say you're married and you're, 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 you're a woman and you're saying, I want my husband to love me as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. But he's not getting it. And you need God's full support. Could it be something that you're not getting versus something your husband's not getting? We never go there. We just say, what's well, my husband's fault? He's just not loving me. Same thing with guys. Guys, listen. I always tell us guys this. I said, listen, if it took you 15 years in your marriage to lose her, Are you willing to take another 15 years to win her back? Because there's something you didn't do to lose her. It's just what it is. Same thing with parents and children. I mean, where does it go wrong that they start growing up and then they lose respect of you? Listen. Yes, you grow up, you make your own mind up. That's just adulthood. They're going to get up and make silly and stupid mistakes. But a parent should never lose influence. Should never lose a voice. Hey, could you just respectfully sit and just listen to what I have to say? Now, what you do with that is up to you. Because you're an adult. And you can make the choices all you want. But would you at least sit down and respectfully listen to me? I think a parent should never lose that. But we do. We lose it. I believe it's because, again, we, we don't have his full support. And it's because it's something we missed in this whole process. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he would do what? So somewhere in that relationship, I have done what? Denied him. Somewhere in that relationship that's broken, I missed it with God. But how do we work through these trials and temptations? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 is probably one of the most encouraging passages of scriptures to help us with this. It says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with, run with endurance set before us. Oh, so this, the beautiful imagery of followers of Christ who have gone before us who've made it through. Have you ever been through something or in something, but yet you know someone else has gone through it and how much it gives you encouragement to do what? Go through it. Remember the scripture says we're saved by the blood of the lamb and the words of our 
testimonies. I believe that's part of that nuance. In other words, your testimony helps rescue me. So you look at that two sides, that there's people who've gone before you, and if you read the text in Hebrews, this is so wonderful. It gives all the hall of faith, and it says that these people endured all these things. Guess what it says? This is so discouraging and encouraging, all in one. It says, they endured all these hardships with the hope of the promise to come. Guess what, unfortunately, we have already? We have the hope of the promise, and that is Jesus, and we still mess it up. They were waiting for the impartation of the Holy Spirit. We have him living inside of us day in and day out, and we still somehow find a way to follow it up. but if we reign with him, right? So we have these witnesses that should encourage us to get through, but here's the, here it gets better in verse two, again, Hebrews 12. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, not on diseases, not on politicians, not on racial tensions, not on anything else, but Jesus. Not on your bank accounts. Not, be, not on your employer who passes you up on promotions. Not on your past. Not on your present. Not on your future. But you fix your eyes on who? Jesus. Once you lose focus on Jesus, then the trial eats your lunch. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, beginner, the perfecter, right? The improver of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Joy set before him. Part of his joy set before him is everybody in this room and everybody's watching generationally. He knew if he endured the cross, we would too. If we endure our cross, guess who will as well? your sons, your daughters, your friends, your, your, you follow me? We must endure, we must see the prize, the joy that is also set before us. It says, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, who we just read, meaning Jesus, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So the text shows us that you will grow weary and you will lose heart. It's normal. But you will grow weary and you will lose heart, especially if you take your eyes off of Jesus. But why endure? Here's a personal benefit. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. For what credit is, is there if... When you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience. Right? So, 
let's be real. Most of the time, we always wonder what's in it for us. And this answers that question. It says, but when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. Guess what? This finds favor, favor with God. This finds favor with God. So can you, can you just imagine with me how many times God's favor awaits us and we never experience it? Because we don't patiently endure. If you, if you can just let your mind's eye go to a place to say, okay, I can visually see God's, God's what? His favor. It just imagine a timeline of life. There's God's favor. That's there. His promise. He says it's there. But how many times I've gone through life in situations, relationally, personally, situationally, right? Career, whatever it may be, that you jump the gun before the timeline. Now, here's the challenge in all of that, is that no one knows the timeline. <laughs> you know, you can't, there's nowhere in scripture that says, okay, guess what? God's favor is going to land in your doorstep in about six months. <laughs> and if someone ever tried to prophetically tell you that, they're a liar and the truth is not in them. <laughs> but the promise is, it awaits us. But the challenge will always be, am I going to be willing to do what? Do what is right, suffer if necessary, and patiently endure it. That's the equation. That's the equation for favor, right? Look back at any situation in your life. Have you ever had to suffer? Have you ever had to make a choice to do what's right? Have you ever had to be patient? Absolutely. You can never, ever, ever escape those three things. You can never say, God, give me your favor. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. You can never say, God, give me your favor, and I'm not willing to suffer for it. And you can never ask and wait for God's favor without doing it with great patience. They're tethered together. But the promise is there. Endure our trials and temptations. You see, pure religion endures. Then it finds this supernatural favor of God. Always at the end of it. There's always a supernatural favor of God. Either here or there. How do we keep what we do pure? How do we do... how? How do we keep who we are pure, especially in a pure world? James chapter 1, verse 17 through 26 gives us our final and fifth point. We must learn to use eternity as our guide. We must learn to use eternity as our guide. So let's read through this real quickly. 17 through 26, and um, it says, uh, every, good, every good thing given... And every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. 
that's pretty encouraging as well, isn't it? In the, uh, in the exercise of his will, he, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we will be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Uh, this you know, my beloved brethren, but anyone must be, everyone must be uh, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Amen. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And as a side note, the anger written on paper and the anger written in social media Amen. will never accomplish. Amen. I would never think I have to preach about social media. Go figure. Verse 20. For the anger, uh, verse 21, excuse me. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted with which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Go figure that. Amen. That you look at yourself in a mirror and you forget who you are. That is like, huh? How could you ever do that? Verse 25, but one who looks intently in the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Psalm 1. You can go back and read Psalm 1. This is so similar, right? And it says in verse 26, if anyone thinks himself to be religious, yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. And remember, words are also written words. Amen. We must learn to use eternity as our guide. Verse 17 summarizes this way, is that eternity is a gift from above. It says every gift, Amen. perfect gift is from what? This word perfect means complete, wanting nothing. The only way that you can have a gift from God that you want, or gift at all, and you can have it, and you say, I want nothing. So it's kind of like this. You get a, a present for your child, and they open it up, and you forget that they take AA batteries. <laughs> right? I mean, it's like, it's like, how perfect now is this gift? It's not that perfect, because this gift now is wanting something. You see, but with, with God, as he gives you gifts, you don't have to worry about batteries. You don't have to worry about any other thing associated with the gift, right? In other words, you can sit and be content and complete and satisfied. And the only gifts that are found on the shelf of life like that is where? In heaven. Which then should tell you and I that my focus should be where? Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. But then you also find in verses 21 through 25 in, again, uh, James chapter 1, is that his eternity can also be found where? In his word. Let's look further. It says this, the word that was what? Implanted in verse, in verse 21 and is able to do what? Save you. The word implanted means this, engrafted from another source. You see, when you read a book 
that you find at Barnes and Noble or Amazon.com, right? You, you know the, the source of that author. Similarly, when you read the Bible, the word of God, you see, there's no other source to it. You don't need any, you don't need any additional authors or additional quotes from anyone or anything, right? But you read the word of God, the pure, unadulterated source is whom? God and God alone. There's no psychological input. There's no, you know, no expert that needs to put their thumbprint on it, right? But at the end of the day, when you read the word of God, that it is implanted in you, the only source of it all is whom? Is God and God alone. Another key word, the word save. You see, so the word of God is implanted in you. And then it also does what save you. It means to save you from eternal death. And the only thing that can save, only one who can save you from eternal death is who? Jesus and him alone. So that says that within the source of the Bible, you find from Genesis to Revelation, whom? Christ and Christ alone. Eternity is also in our hearts. It says, do not bridle his tongue, but deceives his what? Own heart. The word bridle means this, to direct or restrain or govern or control. So if you, if you got a problem controlling your tongue, you got heart issues, just to let you know. Now, here's the beautiful thing about this. And this is what I had to humbly come to grips with. Is that even though my wife may be a little more outwardly verbal than I am, I'm still saying it in my mind. Guys, you know what I'm talking about, right? You, you're sitting there. You're, you're just saying everything she would say. <laughs> and the Lord had to convict me with that. It said, no, nah, you don't get a no, 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 no. You don't get a pass because you're thinking it. You're just being a little overtly religious and not saying it. Maybe you got a little more verbal self-control. But at the end of the day, you're still formulating those words in your mind. And he, is, he knows your thoughts even before you what? Think them. And that's, how do I know this? And this is how you tie it in. Jesus said, when he stepped on the scene, you say you should not commit murder. But I say, if you say you hate your brother, you've committed murder. You say you should not commit adultery. But I say, if you look at that woman, you desire in your heart, nothing spoken there. You've committed adultery. So, so no matter if you're speaking the words or thinking the words, guess what it is? It's still wrong. At the end of the day, it is sin. And it is something that says that there is something inherently wrong with my heart. So you, you, listen, you can sit in corporate meetings and disagree with the, with the, the, the president and the manager. And you're like, hmm, you're saying all everything in your head. And then you wonder why you're not getting promoted. Because you have not fully accepted them as your authority assigned by God. It's the seat of desires, feelings, affections, passions, impulses. But how do we handle this? Is always the question. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 says this, that he has set eternity in our hearts. Do you realize, sinner or saint, eternity is unavoidable. 
is unavoidable. Theologically proper, eternity is unavoidable by anyone, sinner or saint. So the challenge is, I must get to a point that I realize, oh shucks, anything I want on this earth, it has to be heavenly connected. Because everything I receive that is not from heaven, I will be unfulfilled. It will be an incomplete gift. That's why you can sit, and ladies, you can pray and ask God for a husband. God gives you that gift, believe it or not. He gives you the gift. Every now and then you may not think we're a gift, but we're a gift. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 but here's the deal. So it, it's, you know, year number five, we turn into some just, you know, some God object or whatever. And the same thing happens with our wives. You know, this precious gift from God, this precious stone, right? This woman who gives me favor from God now becomes my enemy. What, what, what begins to give? I mean, at the end of the day, I just believe it becomes this, this disconnection of eternity. And this is something the Lord showed my wife and I. At the end of the day, do you realize from the eternal vantage point, she's my sister. She started off being my sister in Christ. She will end in heaven being my sister. So the way I treat her should be ultimately how respectful I would treat any sister in Christ I will ever have. Would I say that to my sister in Christ? Would I act that way to, to, with my sister in Christ, with my brother in Christ? Would I act the same way, right? In the midst of everybody in the church building. Would I have the audacity to say that to my sister that I think they have the audacity to say behind closed doors? I've lost eternity in view. Children, children don't belong to me. They don't belong to you. Moms, I hate to disappoint you. They are not your possession. And they will prove to you in life. They're not your possession. What clouds your judgment is you lose sight of eternity. It goes on and on and on and on and on. He seats eternity in our hearts. That's the first thing. Then James 5, verses 17 to 20, real quickly, you find this in, in, in verse 7 and 11. It says, with patience and with our complaint as a farmer. Can you imagine every farmer who's planted seasonally? Maybe when they first started off farming, they planted the seeds and like, okay, is that ever going to grow? 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 Okay, God, is that, okay, I planted, I, didn't, I, didn't I fertilize it properly? Did I till the soil? I mean, you, you just process it all. But over time, I will guarantee you that after the second year, third year, fourth year, fifth year, that farmer knows, I plant it, I just go in my house, and I just wait. Patiently. You see, part of eternity is that you're able to be a farmer and know just in the fullness of time it'll come about because he promised it now let me wait for his promise but then you also find in verse 12 
again, this is in summary of James chapter 5, is that we must become people who keeps eternity in view. You know why? It's because we realize it's about integrity. Therefore, my yes must be yes. My no must be no. Why? Because every single word, every single gesture that I make will be judged. That's eternity in view. My yes is yes. My no is no. If I say 10, it's 10. If I say 10 on 1, it's 10 on 1. Right? If I say it's 9, whatever. If I say I am, I will. If I tell you I, I can't, I, I won't. My yes is yes, my no is no, my no is no. That's eternity in view. But then you also find in verse 13 through 15, there's this care for one another. Life does not revolve around Cedric David Brown. Life does not revolve around fill in the blank of your name. But it begins to revolve around you and your family and your household and everything that's important to you and your address when you lose an eternal focus. Then you find in verse 16 through 17, this confession of sin. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another. What? That you may be healed. Call for the elders, prayer. So you have this engaging of, of repentance and, and dealing with things right away, right? It's because I know I got to correct it here before I get there. And there's accountability for me to, to live circumspectly before God and before man here before I get there. If I really believe it's heaven's my home. And then lastly, you find this, verse 19 through 20, just the willingness to be corrected, right? Let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Listen, <laughs> if we all arrived in heaven in this condition, we'd be, no, you know, we'd be bad shape. Well, but you know, the scriptures does promise this. He says he's coming back for a church that is with what? Without spot of blemish. You can say in summary, a corrected church. Amen. A church that is attending to the details of their lives every single day of their lives. Last couple of things. The how. First Peter chapter 1 verse 17 through 19 simply says to you and I, it says, if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on this earth. That's where fear means respect of God. And then lastly, how does eternity be our guide again to purity? Colossians chapter 3, this captures it all. Verses 1 through 3, this is one of my favorite portions of scriptures. It should ultimately be your continuous pursuit. It can't be like a one and done thing. Eternity as your guide cannot be a one and done thing. It's not, okay, now I'm studying my Bible. I'm now doing my devotionals. Because believe it or not, do you realize your devotionals over time can become ineffective? Just for the record. It may be shocking somebody right now because you just started doing devotionals. But if you live long enough in Christ, you realize your devotionals sometimes can be your God. You see, like I had to have the rude awakening that I, my study day is on Wednesdays. 
<laughs> it became my God. How do I know that? Well, when, when the precious gift that God gave me called my wife would come in every single time in the midst of studying and I start getting irritated. Like, you know I'm studying. Why are you coming in here? Now, I wasn't saying that, but I was thinking it. <laughs> I knew well enough not to say it, but I sure was thinking it. Like, okay, okay, okay. You, you know, this is my study time. Why are you coming in my office right now? I lost focus. Because she's part of eternity. And if I miss her, what good is my message to you? So the next time your child knocks on your door and you're on your knees crying out to the Lord and you yell and scream at him, you've lost focus of eternity. This is pure religion. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Pure religion is always guided and accountable to heaven. Always. You cannot live on this earth when I always check, checking the balance sheet in heaven. Just can't. Just can't. I want to end with the illustration I gave you a couple of weeks ago. Remember the old, older lady that was being interviewed? Some of you know and heard this. Some of you haven't. So this older lady in the um, like Tennessee mountains, hills of Tennessee somewhere, uh, had that strong southern you know, Blue Hills, you know, uh, uh, accent that they had to a point they had to put captions at the, you know, bottom of the screen. Well, she was asked this question and, and it was interesting and fascinating uh, how she replied. The question was this. He says, do you have any regrets? This is how she replied. I don't fool with anything that would cause me to have Regrets. Think about that. Do you have any regrets? She said that I don't fool with anything that will cause me to have regrets. This is pure religion. You see, at the end of the day, you have to ask your que yourself the question, are you today fooling with things and people that are causing you to have regrets? Are you making decisions? Are you putting yourself in situations of failure? Are you not putting safeguards around you that you know you need to just humble yourself and put safeguards around you? Are the things that you feel that you just have the liberty because you're not going to hell and you just keep doing it and you just keep doing it and you just keep doing it because you know you're not, you're theologically wise enough to know that you're not going to hell. 
but you just keep doing it. And all it's doing is, is keeping the gaping door open for the enemy to continue to capture all of your heart. Matter of fact, to catch, capture your heart, your home, and generations that come after you. But you got to start asking yourself the question, am I fooling with something that is causing me to have regret after regret after regret after regret? In other words, listen, can you post that and Jesus read it and say, I see myself there. If, listen, if you can't, don't post it. Sad to say, if you're saying, if you're doing, you're living in a way that Jesus can't live with you, stop doing it, stop saying it. Stop being with them, with her, with him. If it continues to cause you to have regrets. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much just for this opportunity to learn and grow in you. But if there's anyone today who says, hey, pastor, I get it. I hear you, but I'm, I don't know how to get there. What's, what's step one? Step one is simply you acknowledging your sins and realizing that you cannot live apart from Jesus anymore, that you need him to save you, to rescue you. And if this is you, if you've never prayed to ask Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior, this is a great opportunity for you to do so. And all you need to do is just pray this simple prayer with me. It's kind of like your wedding vows, I like to call it. You just say, Jesus, forgive me. I've sinned against you. I've been living a life apart from you. But now I realize that I need you. I now recognize that you came to die for me to live for me first, to die for me. And you rose again from the grave for me. Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart to live forever and wash me clean as I make you my Lord and my risen Savior from this day forward. And if we all now can just stand to our feet, please. If you're at home, you can stand as well. You physically can stand. And can we just lift our hands before the Lord, please? Just say in your own words, Lord Jesus, if I missed the mark in any way, if I have failed you and if I have tainted your name, in word or in deed, forgive me. But today, I choose to not entangle myself with anyone or anything that will cause me to have regrets. Regrets that will harm your reputation and even somehow affect generations that will come through me. But today, Jesus, I choose to live my life holy, acceptable, blameless before you. 
even in my imperfections, I pray, God, somehow you be thou glorified. Spirit of God, I pray now for your people that you will fall afresh upon them. You will bless them. You will keep them. And let your face and your grace, my God, shine upon them. Use them, God, to go into the highways and the byways to compel people to come in that your houses of worship may be filled. God, continue to send people for, to commitment from the north, south, east, and west, both here physically and online, of all nations, tribes, and tongues, my God, that we may worship as one, my God, that heaven will reach earth here in our midst. In the matchless, powerful, most glorious name of Jesus Christ, we all said amen. Hallelujah. All right. All right. So, hey, let's remain standing. We're just going to sing a couple of uh, uh, verses to the song. And just, I keep failing to mention, we do have sermon series uh, t-shirts, Pure Religion. I don't know if Lisa, you don't have yours on, right? And you can get these on our website. All right. So every sermon series, we try to kind of reaffirm it um, by just giving you something to wear and just to kind of be reminded of what you've learned. Amen. Love you and God bless you. Thank you again for listening to Pastor Cedric of Commitment Church. If you would like to learn more about Jesus Christ, please visit our website, www.commitmentchurch.org. This website will walk you through having a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Please let us know if you have made a decision to follow Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, or if you would like to support God's Word through this ministry by visiting www.commitmentchurch.org. You can also visit loveallnations.org for more information and to receive encouraging videos. Lastly, if you or your family reside in the South Jersey area, please visit us at 2 Berlin Road South, Lindenwald, New Jersey, 08021. May God bless you and have a wonderful day.